Welcome to Red Rocks Church. It is so good. I'm serious, man. It is so, I can't tell you how amazing it is to see every single one of you here. Uh, this day has been uh, surreal. And to say that I lack the emotional ability to process something like this is an understatement. I'll have to do it over the next week. But thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts for being here and being a part of this. Um, all of our church chips on the table uh, in the first minute of this sermon, if you were looking for the perfect church, you did not find it. Hate to break it to you, you did not find the perfect church. You saw Ethan just a couple minutes ago. So you saw him. <laughs> so case closed right there. Like we're figuring this out as we go. And um, we, 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 we proudly say uh, that we're just a bunch of imperfect, messed up people doing our best to pursue a God who is perfect. And um, regardless of what you believe or don't believe about this God, um, you have a home in this church and you're loved and you're valued here. And I, I don't just say that to say it. I, I say it because... I believe it. It is so true. This family in here, our staff, the volunteers who put this on, um, we have one goal, and it's that people would experience Jesus in this place. And, um, and uh, whatever you believe about this God, man, you have a home here um, because uh, he has a purpose and a calling for your life, whether you've ever thought about that or not. And uh, he's working in your life behind the scenes, whether you can see that or not. And um, you have a, a reason that you're alive. You were created, and that reason has a lot to do with your creator. And our whole goal here is that we would just experience our creator on Sunday evenings in this space. We, we, we go to great lengths to do that. God goes to great lengths to be with his kids, and we have people here who have done that just to put on a church service. It's why we move across the country. It's why we, we uh, spend a whole day putting up pipe and drape and plugging in speakers and watching energetic kids and inviting people to this thing and sacrificing and giving money to this because we believe in it and because we take seriously experiencing God, right? We, we really, you're going to find this out quickly, I'll just tell you, we don't take ourselves very seriously, nor do we want to, but we take, we take that seriously, man. We really do. And so on behalf of all of us, not just me, but all of us here, welcome to Red Rocks Austin. We are so glad that you guys are here, so glad. And um, I think we should pray. We should probably pray. And uh, because prayer works, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It's like, why do, like, uh, like if you're like me, you're, you're not good at praying. And I'm a pastor, and I'm going to say that right now, all my chips on the table. You don't have a perfect pastor at this place e either, and I don't pray nearly as much as I should. I'm trying to, but I wonder, like, why we don't. I think if we really understood that God really actually hears everything that we say and then responds and does something about it, we would do nothing but pray. When you pray regularly, irregular things will begin to happen in your life on a regular basis. Like, and if you're ever bored in your faith, ever bored in your life, in your walk with God, just try praying more because nobody who consistently converses with the creator of everything gets bored in their faith, I promise you. We pray and he, he's about to listen. It's so crazy. He's about to listen and respond. So join me. God, we love you. And uh, God, once again, we invite you into this space. And I know you're here because you're always everywhere. Um, but you will always be welcome and you will always be wanted at this church. I pray that you would do immeasurably more through this church for your glory, not for ours, but for yours. May our doors always be wide and may our, our roots always run deep and, um, and uh, may our reach be far for your glory. God, we love you so much um, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and everybody said, 
Amen. All right. Well, like Ethan said, we are kicking off a series called Awake. This is week one. It's going to be a five-part series. And in this series, we are talking about dreaming big and then actually living better, right? Dreaming big and, and then living better. God calls us to dream big dreams, but then eventually you got to wake up and then go do the dream, right? Think Mountain Dew, do the do, or Nike, just do it, just do the dream. We have to wake up from the dream and actually do it, right? Like God gives us dreams in the solitary that we then go and build in, in reality, amen? And that's what, this, that's what this series is. And the theme verse for this is Ephesians 3.20. If you've never heard this, you're in for a treat. One of the coolest verses in the entire Bible. This is what Ephesians 3.20 says right here. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. I'll say it this way. Never doubt God's ability to do amazing things in and through human beings who are simply willing. He's not looking for the perfect people, right? He's looking simply for people who are willing to be used. God, God looks at that and goes, I can work with that all day. Never doubt his ability to accomplish amazing things through groups of people like this who are willing to be used by him. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Amen? The NIV would say he can do exceedingly and abundantly more than everything we could ever ask or seek or imagine or pray that he could do. And it's perfect. Perfect for the beginning of our church because today, like this is this is the day that something that has been a dream in the solitary transitions into something we're actually building in reality. Like January 6, 2019, from this point on, we can now face forward, looking to the future, moving into the future, really believing that our God is who He says He is, and that He really can do immeasurably more than even our wildest, craziest dreams for our city. And and that's saying a lot because we have some pretty wild and crazy dreams for the city of Austin. And it's in our solitary place that God paints a picture of what's waiting to be built. And I just believe in Austin. I don't know what that is for you in your life and the dreams he's given you. But as a church body as a whole, I want to answer that question. What is waiting to be created? What's waiting to be built in reality? And, and the answer to that question is the title of the sermon. And it's a front porch in Austin, a front porch in Austin. We are called to be, to live wide awake as human beings. We all know just because you have a warm body does not mean that you're, you're living alive, right? That you're living awake. I believe, man, it's when we step into the unknown with God. I'd rather be in the unknown with God than, than in the known by myself any day. And it's when we step into the unknown with God and build in reality those dreams that he gives us that we, that we really do live awake. And I've said this a lot, but since moving here in this whole church plant dream, I, uh, I've never been more uncomfortable and scared in my my entire life, and at the very same time, I've never been more alive than I have been in the past year. There is something about the unknown with Jesus that is horrifying and amazing at the very same time, and I would not trade that combination for anything. And so the, Ethan, Ethan said this just a little bit ago, but the mission statement of this church is to, to uh, make heaven more crowded by building, um, by being a front porch to welcome home prodigals, prodigals, aka just people who are far from God, right? People who are far from God. So two years ago, when we were trying to pick a city to go plant a church in, uh, we came to Austin and uh, we researched a bunch of cities, man, visited a ton of places. And we came here and something clicked like, 
day one. We got lost on the very confusing highways here. But like, and they're confusing, man. They really are. Like, I'm getting over it. I'm learning it. But like, if you're new here, you're going to get, like, you don't stand a chance in Austin, man. You really don't. Not on the, not on the streets out there. But um, we got, like, we fell in love with this city so quickly. We really did. The people here were like, man, these are our people. We relate to the people here. Like, you can eat at a different restaurant every night for three years, and you'll never run out of places to go eat. And by then, there'll be another thousand restaurants that are built. So you're good, man, for like the rest of your life if you're a foodie and if you like art and if you just love people people who love their city and are passionate about being outside and being alive. You love this place and that's us. And we're like, man, we, we love this city and there's something in us that just, we want to plant a front porch here. We want to build a front porch here. And here's why, because God downloaded, like it wasn't audible. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I think I'd pee my pants if I did. That sounds horrifying to me. But like, he kind of like downloads into like your spirit, like a message. And it was this about Austin. He said, this is a, this is a hub for the prodigals of the Bible Belt. Long story short, just like for people, and I've, this is my story too. For a lot of you, this is your story, which is why it resonates, right? Like you, you have a bad church experience or you get burnt out on religion or there's something from the past that makes you think, man, if this is what God is like, then I don't want anything to do with God. And you, you run from it, right? And a lot of people run from God and they come straight to Austin, running from the very thing that they're actually looking for, right? Because what they, what they experienced in religion, we say this a lot, just because you tried religion does not necessarily mean that you tried Jesus. Just because you tried church does not necessarily mean that you tried Jesus. So what if we could come here and just build, like what if we could put a front porch in Austin, like a place where you really felt like, man, that's the front porch of my home every time I come to it. It's easy to experience God in this space. It's easy. It's a place I want to invite my friends to. Like what if we could go to Austin and what if we what if we could build a front porch right in the middle? Like that's our dream, our dream that we are now doing. And by the grace of God, guys, with this whole church journey, who knows what's gonna happen? By the grace of God though, we will dig deep and we will reach far, but we will never, ever, ever graduate beyond being a front porch in this simple gospel, in this amazing grace and love of Jesus Christ. It's something that you, you never outgrow. Right? You, we never outgrow this. It's kind of like for me, um, I have a bowl of Lucky Charms every night before I go to sleep. And I'm 30 years old and I haven't outgrown Lucky Charms yet. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's a good and godly thing that I haven't outgrown Lucky Charms. Like, like, we should like you just don't outgrow sugary cereal, just like you never outgrow puppies, just like you never outgrow Disney movies. Like if you've got a problem with Lucky Charms and puppies, just get the heck out of this church right now. I'm kidding. You're like, wow, that was a switch. Like, this was very inclusive and then exclusive, like, just because of some puppies and, and sugar. I know. My personal thing that I, uh, I don't maybe if there's somebody here who relates to this, shout me down right now. But my thing is rock candy. It's been my favorite candy ever since I was a little kid. And we now live in a house that's like a few miles from this, this candy store. And so like my like secret sin, like the dark thing that not a lot of people know about me, I go to this, can I'm, like they know my name, like, oh, hey, Doug, when I walk into the candy store, rock candy, blue raspberry, yeah, it's right over there. We'll see you at the cash register. And I go get blue raspberry rock candy. And then like I go like in my car and park my car in a parking lot. And then like, I'm like too ashamed to eat it in front of other adults. I'm like, do other adults 
adults struggle with this or is this just me, right? As long as I take a multivitamin with my Lucky Charms and rock candy, I think I'm good. Like that's called being an adult, trying to stay healthy. You know what I mean? Some things you never outgrow. I had my first uh, Bucky's gas station experience just a couple weeks ago. If you've never been there, you, there's like, a, like 500 gas pumps. So you can fill up your car and you can go furniture shopping and grocery shopping like in the exact same place. And they have a rock candy section at Bucky's. Is it, do you call it Bucky's Gas Station or just Bucky's? Or like just Bucky's, that's it? Okay, that's good to know. They have a rock candy section at Bucky's. And uh, so I'm like, well, I was on a road trip by myself from Houston back to Austin. I'm like, well, I have to get some rock candy because I got nobody else to talk to in the car. And I'm not going to pray in the car because I'm a bad pastor. So I got to have some rock candy to eat. And I didn't go anything flavored this time. I'm like, just give me the clear rock candy. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm trying to stay away from artificial coloring because I'm an adult. I'm like... <laughs> Uh, that's not healthy. Just give me the sugar crystals, bro. That's all that I need. And I buy clear, non-flavored rock candy, which is it's just sugar in crystallized form. It's really, that's all it is. I get in my car, and, uh, and, I'm still, and I'm still parked at the gas pump. I get in my car. I'm so excited about rock candy, a little distracted at the moment. And I put the car in drive, put on my seatbelt, which you should always do. It's just smart. And I, I pull forward just a few feet, and then I hear a boom from right behind me because I forgot to take the nozzle and the hose out of my car and the like the hoses are designed to snap apart now like the engineers moron proof that stuff so relax like it's not a big deal but the story's about to get better but before I tell you how it gets better I have to take you back to 2011 eight years ago because I did the same thing again eight years ago at a gas station in Laguna Beach and uh, except this time I was not distracted by rock candy this time I was distracted by my beautiful girlfriend who's now now my wife who's in the back, Samantha, and, and uh, because I kid you not, in that moment at this gas station, I know where it was. I still go there when I'm in Laguna just to be there. And uh, it, was the, it was the place and the moment where I realized that I loved, I loved Sam and I wanted to marry her, all right? And so, like, I was distracted in the car. Like, I'm a victim in all of these scenarios. It's not my fault. I don't know if you're picking up on this. It's either rock candy or, or my beautiful girlfriend who's now my wife. But I, I ruined that gas pump. Like, that wasn't designed to snap apart, and I did some damage there. But that's neither here nor there. Long story short, like fast forward again to a couple weeks ago at Bucky's, and I'm like, this is the second time that I've done this. This is like shame exponential, you know? Like you shouldn't, you can't be an adult. And has anybody else ever done that at a gas station, by the way? I know you're just not, a, you're just not admitting it. That's all you're doing. I know that three of you statistically have done this. Oh, man. So I'm... Oh my gosh, so I get out of my car, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, I can't tell anybody about this, and I do the 15-foot the walk of shame around my car to fix the, the hose and snap it back into place, and wouldn't you know, as luck would have it, the, like, the guy next to me in his like 97 F-150, the most Texas guy that I've met since being to Texas, okay, boots with the spurs on them, and a cowboy hat, and a toothpick in his mouth, and he is laughing condescendingly at me <laughs> just a skinny guy a skinny guy with a big truck laughing at me and I swear the strongest southern accent southern draw I've heard since since moving here excuse me I swear you can't make this up he looks at me and he says this he goes son I pray to God almighty that's not the second time in your life that you've done something like that 
It's like, what? How did, what? Why did you say that? That's not like a natural response in that moment. I'm like, and I, I didn't tell him. I'm not like, oh, I, I, like you deserve me to be honest to you, snarky cowboy who I just met and I'll never see for the rest of my life. Like I would have punched him and cried the whole way home had I not had rock candy in my car to cheer me up. <laughs> Two morals of this story. Number one, guys, be careful at gas stations. Like, no, I'm serious, guys, don't laugh. Seriously, be careful. It can happen to anybody. It could happen to anybody. Number two, number two, there's some things that you just, you just don't outgrow. Some things you don't outgrow. I'll be even more bold than that. There's some things that you should not outgrow. Some things you should never outgrow. As a Christian, Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be today for, for, for one story. This is not going to be long. But Luke chapter 15 is the story of a prodigal son, a loving father, and a front porch. It is the gospel as simple as it comes. It is a completely illogical and provocative story that is straight from the imagination of Jesus Christ and is the heartbeat of our church and should be the heartbeat of Christians. And, and we should never out grow the story of the prodigal son. That's something that you just, you never graduate from, from, right? Like as soon as you become too smart for the simple gospel, that's the moment that you become too smart for Jesus, right? Like we never outgrow this story. It will always be, it will always be the heartbeat of our church. And basically the story goes like this. There's a father and he's got two sons and the younger son is crazy. Classic birth order, right? Older son's responsible, I'm the older son, and I'm planting this church with my little brother. I don't know where he is, but that's just a, a, a silent punch to his gut that he can't do anything about. Younger son's crazy, and uh, he, co he goes to his dad, and he says, he says, Dad, I want my inheritance early, which is already, like, that'd be crazy to do that today, but back then, doing something like that, like, you just don't do that. Guaranteed, Jesus' whole audience right now is 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 angry at this kid and shocked at this kid, right? But here's where it gets crazier is the dad actually says yes and gives his son, his youngest son, one third of the estate, which the younger son takes and he, he liquidates and then he, like Jesus said, he, he takes the money to a far off city and he spends all of it on lavish living and partying until he runs completely out of money. He goes broke, there's a famine in the city and the guy finds himself in the lowest point of his life. You might call Call it rock bottom, call it whatever you want, but that's where this kid winds up. And everybody listening is offended and also knows that Jesus is talking about, metaphorically, our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And every single one of us can relate to this kid in a way. I can. Like, we all make mistakes and consequently find ourselves far from God. We all make mistakes, and we all find ourselves far from God. I, I, I felt that before I, I came to know Jesus, and I felt it about a thousand times since giving my life to Jesus. And I'm a pastor, right? Like, all my chips on the table, once again, just first week, I, uh, like, before we even moved to Austin, I remember one night, it was like midnight, I couldn't sleep, and I took my lab, my black lab on a walk around the neighborhood because I was just kind of like venting and having it out with the big man upstairs. Like, God, I, I can't, I can't plan a church. I can't lead 
to church. I can't do something. Like, God, you know me, and you know even better than I do, like, how messed up I am, right? I'm like, God, I can't, like, I can't put on a make-believe cape like so many pastors do and pretend to have it all together publicly when I know that privately that's just not the case. Like, I can't take that kind of pressure with me to bed every night when I lay my head on the pillow for the rest of my life. I can't, I can't do that. And it was another one of those times that God just kind of downloaded something into my heart and, and, and very clearly just said, hey, buddy, like, like, I never needed you or wanted you to do that, to be perfect. He said, perfect me, imperfect you. Perfect God, imperfect pastors, right? Like, I was like, man, when, when like I received that, like there's knowing that and then there's knowing that. And that night I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe I can do this. Maybe me and my friends can do this because I tell you what I can do. Like I can't pretend to be perfect, but I can, I can be imperfect publicly and I can struggle publicly. I have zero problem with that because I know you guys got your stuff too, just like me and people relate way more with your, with your weaknesses than they do your strengths. And I'm like, God, I can do, I can do something like that, right? And I, Cause I relate to this younger son, you guys, and not because he's awesome. I relate to this guy's weaknesses. And so we're gonna pick it up really quick. Verse 14, he's, he's in the lowest point of his life right now. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because nobody would feed him a thing. And, and like people are like hearing this like, yeah, and nobody should feed him a thing. Serves him right. Like, look what you did, you little jerk. You lost all of your daddy's money because you were a moron, right? Like you deserve to be where you are right now. That's how, that's how our world works. You, you get what you deserve in this world. And, and it says, humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing. Another translation says, the son, I love this, he came to the end of himself. He came to the end of himself and realizes fully in that moment that his attempt to find wholeness and completeness apart from his father had failed. The experiment, this great experiment, did not work. And what we're about to see is this lowest point in his life. Like we look at people who are in those points, right? And we think, oh, it's so bad. And like, yeah, absolutely, like, yeah. But there's, there's something powerful that can happen in that moment because when you get to the end of yourself, that's where you get to the beginning of God and you can finally be honest and go, man, okay, so every, like the answer that I've been looking for, it's actually not found in, in that high or that experience or that hookup or that job or that salary amount or that, or that vacation, right, or that trip. Like, like, what do you do when everything that your soul is looking for, you start to realize that you can't find it in anything under the sun? Like when you try all the different wells, what do you do when you get to that place and you realize that the great experiment of my life to find lasting happiness is failing me? You come to the end of yourself and you come to the beginning of God and that's where you finally realize I have to look at something that's bigger and beyond the sun for the deepest things that my soul is looking for. And that's where this kid gets to right now. 
That's where he is. And, and it says this. He thought, man, there are so many workers at my father's house. And all of them have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I will never be worthy. Look at that word worthy. I will never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. He knows it's not going to be the same as it used to be because he's smart. He's logical, right? So the young son set off for home and from a long distance away, from a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for the son who was returning home. So pause right there. His father saw him coming from a long ways off in the distance. How do you see something that's a long ways off in the distance? Only when you're looking for something that is a long ways off in the distance, all right? And so we wonder all the time, like, I wonder what, what, what like God's posture towards me is. Whether, like, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe a long time ago you did, but so much has happened since then and, like, has gotten in the way of you and God. And, like, you're trying to think, like, man, how does God really, he can't be all that pumped about me right now, right? Like, what is God's posture towards me? I am here to tell you with all the confidence in the world, regardless of if you've known Jesus your whole life or, or you've never met Jesus in your entire life, never had a relationship with God, this is your father's posture to you 100% of the time, scanning the horizons, just wondering, just hoping, like, man, I wonder if this is going to be the day. I wonder if this is going to be the day. Like, all throughout the Bible, it talks about how God wants his kids to come home to him. He leaves the 99 for the one. He goes to the greatest lengths ever to make sure his kids know that, that they're loved, and it's not about their imperfect performance because he is perfect and that, and he wants to impute that to us and welcome us home, not as employees, but as sons and as daughters. And this kid's thinking, well, I'm not worthy to be a son. He thought he was a son by his worth, but really he was a son by his birth. That's how it works, and it rhymes. That's how you can trust it. You're not a son or a daughter because you feel worthy of it. You're a son or you're a daughter because you were, you were born one. You were born one. And this is... This is God's posture towards you right now. And Jesus says, man, he sees his son and he runs, runs to his son, all right? And we're all thinking like, okay, he's, yeah, like, like Jesus' audience, guarantee you, they're thinking, yeah, he's running towards his son to drop kick him in the face for being a little punk and spent, like, that's what he should, like, he deserves that, that's what he should get. But every theologian would agree, every, and like, that, like, that's already crazy, me saying that, because theologians and churches and denominations and pastors, like, disagree with each other on so many, like, second-tier issues about God and the Bible. But every theologian would agree would agree that the, the motive that, that the father has for running after his son is completely love and completely joy. And he finally reaches his son and he embraces his son and welcomes his son home. And the son, guarantee you, like he's, he's confused. Like I would be too, right? Because you're, you're like, I'm looking at you guys. You guys are smart. We're logical people. And logically, this does not make any sense in the world. That's why this story is so ridiculous. That's why you will never graduate beyond the simplicity of the gospel because it goes against 
everything that, all of the air that we breathe in our lives that says, no, you get what you earn and you get what you deserve. But this God ran towards his kid to give him what he did not, to give him what he did not. Like, what? Like, do you know, do you know the facial expression of God towards you right now? Like, I get like on the good days, you probably, you're like, yeah, he's pumped on me, man. I'm crushing this Christianity thing. Got up at 4 a.m. this morning after dreaming prophetic dreams all night long. And I prayed over everybody in my own phone book in my phone. I pulled out the yellow pages. I'm praying, like, I need more people to pray for, right? And then, and then you, you memorize yet another chapter of Galatians before you get in your car. And you drive the speed limit to Starbucks where you pray for your barista on your way to do homeless ministry in downtown. Like, on that day where you're just crushing it as a Christian, you're like, God's more pumped about me than usual today. And he's smiling. That's the countenance of my heavenly father is a smile because he's proud because I earned that smile. But what about, what about the day or the week or the year or the decade where that's not your story as a Christian? Do you know what the face of your father looks like? Do you know? I would, I would, I would be as bold to say if you knew the permanent smile that is part of your new covenant package that is on the face of your heavenly father to you on the good days and more importantly on the bad days. Your life would be forever changed if you walked out of here. We need more revelation. We need more revelation of this simple, illogical gospel. You cannot put a frown on God's face. I like you, you're pretty good, but you're not that good even at messing up. You're not powerful enough to make wrong what God has made right. We don't perform our way into Christianity. And because of that, we can't perform our way out of Christianity. His love is like, you're not better at running away like this younger son is than your heavenly father is at scanning the horizons and waiting for you to come home. You're not better at that. And I would just ask you, man, do you know? Do you know? Or are you still thinking about this Jesus thing logically? Because the younger son is, that's why he made a speech. He prepped a speech to give to his dad. Here it is. Verse, I uh, don't, I didn't write it down. It's, it's, it'll be up on the screen. Then the son said, Father, <laughs> I pictured the son. He's rehearsed this a hundred times, right? He's rehearsed this a hundred times. Um, and he's not even looking his dad in the eye. I guarantee you. He says, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I can never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And then right there, five seconds into this pathetic speech, his father cuts him off and interrupts him and says, Son, with a smile. You can't say this without a smile on your face. Son, you're home now. And turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, bring the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes so you, that you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. We're partying tonight for this beloved son of mine who was once dead is alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found in every Everybody that night celebrated with overflowing joy, not because of this kid's imperfections, but because of how awesome the father was. That's what the party was for. And, and we oftentimes overlook a very, a very real characteristic about God is he's very good at throwing good parties. And heaven throws a party every time it gets a little bit more crowded. Every time. 
And so, what is our goal as a church? I mean, make no mistake, we'll face forward and we're going to we're gonna get, get passionate about digging into like the deep mysteries of God and, and having a far reach and, and doing our thing, but we will never, ever graduate beyond the illogical, unlawful, simple gospel. It is something as Christians that we are called to never, never outgrow. There will always be more revelation of it to understand as Christians. And Ben, you guys can come back up here. Always be more revelation of it. Like those two words, earning and deserving, that we throw around all the time. Our country's based on it. And it's an amazing country, but at the same time, there's like this, this kingdom that's invisible, yet sometimes not that invisible, that Jesus came here to establish called the kingdom of heaven, where the rules are changed and you get what you don't deserve. The two words, earning and deserving, those are actually not in God's divine dictionary, right? You are not a son or daughter because of your worth. You are a son, you are a daughter because of your birth. And that's just how it works. That's how it works. I've been a dad now for, uh, for four months. I'm 30 and I love rock candy and, they, and God even lets guys like me try to be dads, okay? And um, he's, he's my son, he's four months old and I happen to think he's the most amazing thing on this planet, man. He, he really is the cutest kid that's ever been born. And I know everybody says that, but I can, I can say that and not lie in a church. Like he's, I, he's my son and I can't imagine loving him more. And I promise you, I'll never love him less, even if he screws up royally in his life, even if he takes my huge inheritance, which is, and spends it all in an hour, which you could do, I won't be mad. I won't love him any less. Being a son is not something he earned. I promise you, he hasn't earned or deserved being our son. My wife would attest to this. He, he, uh, he doesn't chip in around the house. He doesn't have a job where he helps us pay utilities, right? He, he eats and he sleeps and he poops and he keeps us up at night and he costs us a lot of money, but he looks at us in the eyes now and smiles and laughs and there is not, there's not a, like a better thing in the world. I think the world of this kid and I always will. He is my son and it's not because he earned it. He was simply just born it. You're simply just born it. And what it looked like, man, just to release the, the weight or the burdens that you feel when you're checked in at your job and you're on the clock and you feel like, no, I'm here because I'm working and I have to earn and I have to deserve a paycheck. Like, but you come home and you're just a, a child. And which one of those two postures did you live with today? Did you crush Christianity today? Or did you screw it up? Have you been screwing it up for a long time? Imperfect us, perfect God. What is your view of God's countenance towards you? Is he, is this God's face towards you? And if he were, if he were to say anything like this father, he'd say, yeah, I figured you'd be crawling back. Get in the house, go to your room, work your stuff out. We'll talk about this, we'll talk about your options later. Or, because one of those two is biblical. Only one. Which one is it? Which one is it for you? And so, man, we're just gonna talk about Jesus for as long as God lets us do this at this church, if that's cool with you guys. We're just, we're gonna show up here and we're gonna talk about how amazing 
this heavenly father is who's so illogical, whose, whose rules and laws are so opposite of ours. We're gonna come here and we're just gonna try to wrap our heads around them and, and understand them a little bit more every week. And we're gonna sing songs about how amazing he is and how he crushed his performance 2000 years ago so that we don't have to crush our performance today. His performance, perf his perfect performance back then has now guaranteed you a permanent position in the here and now that you could not lose even if you tried to lose. You are not that. You cannot make wrong what this God has made right. His, his performance is everything and your position is, is now a son or a daughter and that's not gonna change if you don't wake up tomorrow morning and memorize Galatians. His countenance towards you does not change. And I don't know about, that just makes me though, like that, like, that, that changes my motive from fear to love. Because I'm not trying to earn something. I'm not scared of, of God smiting me for missing a, a Bible reading session tomorrow. And that makes me just want to spend time with him, with him all the more. What is God's face towards you? Do you know it? Do you know it? Because your life would look different if you really knew it. You would live wide awake like we're talking about in this series if you really knew God's facial, his, his permanent smile that you cannot mess up towards you, Christian, if you knew it. And that's like, we'll keep coming back here and we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep singing songs about it. We'll keep inviting people to come and hear about Jesus. And we'll, we'll give money to other ministries all over the world who are doing the same thing. And we'll make art about it. And we'll do sports leagues where we pray before we play basketball. And we'll, we will make movies and videos about this amazing Jesus. And as we go on this journey, maybe one day, years from now, we'll look back and we'll be like, oh my gosh. God, you did it. You miyagi'd us. You did it. You took a dream that you gave us in the solitary, and we built, we built this front porch in reality. And I've never been more scared, but I've never been more alive, man. Let's do this thing. Amen.